Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Everyone said, amen. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. If you have the Version Bible app, I encourage you to open it up to the more section where you'll see events, and then you see Faith Christian Center. You'll see my notes for today. The Blessing Brings Overflow Part 4. I encourage you to save those notes to your device, and you can go over it later today. I'm not sure if I'll get to those notes today. And so listen to the podcast. If you want to listen to the message, I'll put up 9 a.m. But we may get to parts of it today, and the Holy Ghost has led me to go to a different track. So let's look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 11. You'll see the first verse mentioned in your notes. It, the modern English version, it says, The Lord will make you overflow in prosperity. The Lord will make you overflow in prosperity. Now, it's hard for people to believe that if you don't believe that God loves you. You may, it's like, well, yeah, I can see it, but you don't internalize it. You think, yeah, God will overflow that person. God will prosper that person because I can see it looks like God loves them. But does God really love me? You'll have a hard time seeing God as a provider if you don't see him as loving you. Go to 3 John. So I encourage you to get those notes from the YouVersion Bible app because we may not get to them today. 3 John, verse 2. 3 John, verse 2. Greetings to all those watching us online. 3 John, verse 2. says, beloved. Just stop at that verse. We skip over that. Beloved, you are loved. You are loved. Individually, God loves you. Well, how much does he love me? Go to John 17. We'll come back here. John 17. Because every Christian will say, yeah, I know that God loves me, but they don't let us sink down deep to change their mentality. Because if you really believe, Christian, that God loves you, you don't think he's out to get you. You don't think he's out to punish you. Your mentality is not, well, if I make a mistake, he's going to zap me. That's not a mentality of God loving you. God is not looking to punish you. How do I know that? He punished Jesus so he wouldn't have to punish you. Isaiah 53. Jesus took on all of our sin, all of our depravity, and the punishment that went with it. So why would God want to punish you if he's already punished Jesus for you? So he said, okay, I see that. But notice what it says, John 17, verse 23. Because people are like, yeah, I know God loves me, but God must really love Jesus because Jesus was perfect. He came to earth. 
He paid the price, took on our sin, took on the poverty, took on the curse, took on all the evil things, went to hell in our place, fought the victory. I know the Father loves Jesus. How many would say the Father loves Jesus? How many think, like, say, well, we can't earn it, but if anyone could earn it, it's Jesus. So we think, how many think the Father loves Jesus? It's not a trick question. Do you believe the Father loves Jesus? All right. John 17, verse 23, notice this is Jesus praying. He said, I am them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and has loved them as you have loved me. How does God love you? He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Say the Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Because if you go around saying that continually, it changes your mindset. Why? Perfected or mature grown-up love, 1 John 4.18 says, cast out or evicts or flushes out all fear. So grown-up belief in the love of God will keep you from being afraid. So what do you do when you feel afraid? You go back to the scriptures on how much God loves you. I know a number of people here know our story, how me and my wife, before we had our first daughter, we had two losses. And so when we got pregnant with our third child, it was a faith battle. We took our child by faith. And so there were some nights, especially in the early weeks, that fear would try to grip me. Grab me to, you're going to lose another kid. It's going to happen again. And when it would try to grip me, I'd lay back and I'd say, Father, you love me. You love me as much as you love Jesus. I started going over these love scriptures. I started playing songs. See, you do whatever it takes to stay in faith. So me and my wife, we made our own faith tracks. She took a message from Oral Roberts and put it to a musical track. The message from Oral Roberts on how to release your faith. And so we had that playing all throughout the house. And then those times when I would go, there were certain songs that would minister to me the love of God. And so I would play it and listen to it. And the thing is what I noticed, anytime I got strong in my faith about the love of God for about 30 seconds, the fear was gone. It couldn't stay anymore. Why? The love was flushing it out. Now, faith works by love. Now, it's not just you walking in love, even though that's part of it. Faith works by love, your belief, and God loving you. If you don't believe that God loves you, your faith won't be strong. Now, you can believe, well, God loves me, and your faith will work. But if you really believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus, your faith can work stronger. Because your love fuels your faith. Just like you can't go far in your car if it's not charged up or has fuel in it. Your faith can't go far unless there's a belief on the inside of you that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. We'll go back to 3 John. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. 3 John verse 2. We have to grow in our belief of Jesus' reckless and radical love for us. It says, Beloved, I wish or I desire above all things. So notice, this is the desire of love. 
of God's love for you, that you may prosper and be in health. It's easier to believe that God wants you to prosper and be in health when you believe that he loves you. But notice the end of this verse, even as your soul prospers, which means if your soul doesn't prosper, you won't prosper in other arenas of your life. If your soul is not prosperous, your finances will suffer. Your physical health will suffer. Now, what is your soul? You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in this natural body. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. It is your mind, will, and emotions. So if you don't prosper in your mind, you won't prosper in your life. That's why the book of Proverbs says prosperity ruins or destroys a fool. And so if you're foolish in your thinking, prosperity won't help you. It will ruin you. But notice your soul is not just your mind. It's also your emotions. If you're not emotionally strong and emotionally stable or believing that you are a spirit having a soul, if you have a soul, that means you have emotions, meaning you are in control of your emotions. But if you're, in a per- you're a person that's not in control of your emotions, your emotional state will destroy your prosperity. You have to be a person that renews their mind with the word of God and stays in control of their emotions. God gave you emotions. You should have emotions. You are emotional beings, but you have to be in control of them. You have to have emotions and not let your emotions have you. Because when you let your emotions have you, your entire life will suffer. A lot of people are playing cleanup because they let their emotions have them. And you would never have to clean up messes if you were in control of your emotions. Notice the Bible says, be angry and sin not. It's not wrong to be angry. It's wrong to act out of that anger. It's wrong to stay in that anger. Ephesians also says, to not let the sun go down on your wrath. People think that's a marriage scripture. It's not. It's a scripture to believers. Don't go to bed angry. Forgive everybody of everything. Let it go. So why I don't feel like forgiving them. Nothing in this Christian life is based on your feeling or your emotion. You will have to forgive by faith. You have to let it go by faith. Well, pastor, what am I going to do? Five minutes later, I get angry all over again. Saying, well, I already forgave them. Because it will. You will get angry all over again. You'll do good for five minutes. Woo, I'm doing good. I'm free. Then you think about them again. <laughs> no, I forgave them. I let it go. How many times do I say it? Until it doesn't bother you anymore. Until you completely shake that thing off. Now, what if I have to see that person every day? You forgive them. I forgive them before you walk into work. Just get it in advanced practice. Father, I forgive that person in advance by faith. So when they act petty, when they act crazy, you're like, well, I already forgave them. I already let that thing go. Whatever you practice, you will perfect. So if you practice forgiveness, you will perfect forgiveness. So you have to get in a place where you're practicing it so that you don't get offended and shut down your faith because you stepped out of the love of God. And now you're in your feelings and you can't prosper. 
God desires that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. You have to believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus and that you're not just a recipient of that love, but you're called to be a conduit of that love. Romans says he's poured his love in your heart by the Holy Ghost who's given unto you. So the Holy Ghost, who's the Spirit of God, meaning he's the Spirit of love, is on the inside of you. He put his love on the inside of you, which means you have the ability to love the most unlovable people, the most annoying people, the most petty people. You can say, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. So, no, I can't. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of you. You have the fruit of self-control. If you can't help yourself, that means you don't have the Holy Ghost. I can't help myself. You must have a demon. You can help yourself. You just don't want to help yourself. You like being in your feelings. You like giving people a piece of your mind. That's why a lot of it's gone. We have to, <laughs> we have to control our emotions. We have to be in control of our flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, temperance and self-control is controlling your flesh. But meekness is controlling your emotions. Meekness does not mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you don't have any emotions. It just means you're in control of them. The Greek word for meekness paints a picture of a wild, fierce animal in control. So people may think that you're meek and that you're calm and that you never have any emotions. Let them think that. You just know, I have this thing under control. You could have a lion roaring on the inside, but it's in control. So you're not going to see me sweat. You're not going to see me be bothered. Why? It's in control. I want to prosper, so I'm going to hold on to my emotions. Meaning I'm not going to say the first thing that comes to my mind. Because whatever you're filled with comes out. And so if the first thing that comes out of your mouth is another F word that's not forgive, you know what you're filled with. That's why the Holy Ghost told us this year, focus on being full. Fill yourself with the word. Fill yourself with the love of God. Fill yourself by praying in the Holy Ghost so that you're overflowing the right things. That's why for two months we talked about overflowing every good thing in the kingdom of God so that you can overflow in your finances. Because if you're not overflowing with all the fruit of the Spirit and overflowing in grace and overflowing in hope and encouragement, when the money comes, you won't be able to handle it correctly. You never want to go to a place where your character can't keep you. It's an old Pentecostal saying, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. A lot of people want mega blessings from God, but they're in a canoe. One fire from that cannon will sink your ship. So we have to grow up spiritually so that we can carry what God wants us to carry. Because the kingdom of God is childproof. So wife and I were talking the other day. We have another baby coming. We're getting ready. We're talking about different things, childproof in our house, all the different things. And she was telling me, yeah, we have to do this room. And I heard in my heart, the kingdom of God is childproof. So there's greater power for people. But they can't get it because they act like a baby. They've been saved 50 years but still acting like a child. They can pray for power all day long, but if they don't grow up, they ain't going to get any. We're supposed to come to God as a child with childlike faith, but we're not supposed to act like a child and have temper tantrums. 
You're wondering why your child has temper tantrums? Look at you. I don't want my child acting so crazy. Look at you. They are very fast learners. Get your emotions under control. Get your mouth under control. Because loose lips sink ships. Have you destroyed your harvest and your finances because you run your mouth? You've become the prophet of your own life. You don't like what you see today? Well, look at what you've been saying the last few years. Well, I want to see a better tomorrow. Change what you're saying today and be consistent with your words. You can have what you say. It didn't say you can have what you say in church. You can have what you say continue. Whatever you say continues is what you're going to get. That's how the kingdom of God operates. It operates by the words of your mouth. That's how you were born again. You were saved by grace through faith. How did you activate it? You believed in your heart and you said with your mouth. Everything in the kingdom of God works the same way. You believe in your heart, you say it with your mouth. But we've been working spiritual principles against us. It's time to turn it for our favor. Go to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord will make you overflow with prosperity. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to overflow in the blessing. start with verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, when people see mammon, they're thinking, oh, it's money. It's beyond just being money. It's the spirit behind you getting whatever you have to do to get money. So you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve your hustle. And I'm not talking about hustle under the grace of God and hustle in the blessing. You've got to work hard. I'm talking about your hustling that violates the love of God. That I'm going to do whatever it takes to get some money. I don't care who I have to hurt or step over a staff to get it. I'll sleep with whoever I have to sleep to so I can get to the top. It's that thing that's mammon. It's the spirit behind it. So you can't serve both. You can be broke and bow down to mammon. You can be rich and bow down to mammon. Who is your God? So when you get into Matthew 6 further, Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought. Or it's also translated, don't be anxious. Don't worry for your life. Don't worry about what you shall eat. Don't worry about what you shall drink. Nor yet for your body, what you can put on. Don't worry about clothes. Is not your life more than what you eat and your body more than clothes? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Aren't you better than some birds? Some of you don't believe it. Now, look, I like animals. I do. But I have a revelation from the Scripture that I'm more important than a bird. Now, I don't care what some of these organizations say. You are more important than birds. If God feeds birds, don't you know he'll provide for you? Which one of you can, by worrying or being anxious, 
add one cubit to stature. How many of you can make yourself taller by stressing and worrying? Some of you said, if that was true, I'd be a giant pastor. And why take you thought or be worried or anxious for clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God does so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So it only takes a little faith to have a wardrobe full. Some of you got that, some of you missed it. It only takes a little faith to get the wardrobe you want. It's not a lot of faith, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Well, what scripture I stand on? That one. Well, Father, you said you clothed me, so I believe that. These are the type of outfits I like. Then call it in and believe God for it. Now, God may tell you to sow a seed. You see that person, they need an outfit, go bless them and buy it. Now, I wanted to save her for my outfit, Pastor. You have to realize the power of a seed. That you're sowing and there will be a harvest. But this provision system is an operation and has been provided to you because God loves you. The whole system of sowing and reaping is in the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God operates. He provided that system because he loves you. Everything with Jesus. God sent Jesus as a seed. Jesus even called himself a seed. He said, I'm going to be in the earth for three days and three nights, just like Jonah. He, the Bible calls him the firstborn of many brethren. Why? God sent Jesus so that he can get many sons and daughters into glory. So the kingdom of God works by, saved by grace through faith. It's believing and speaking and sowing and reaping. This system is provided by God because he loves you. So Jesus goes on and says, so don't be anxious. Don't worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, where we'll be clothed. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. When it's saying Gentiles, it means those who do not have a covenant with God. Those who don't have promises with God. This is what they're worried about. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Notice it doesn't say spiritual things. Things. What you eat, what you drink, what you're wearing. Things. Clothing. Also, if it's where your body's concerned is where you live. But seek ye first. Not when you feel like it. Not going to church once a month. Not reading your Bible whenever you feel spiritual. Not spending time in prayer when you think you should. But spending time every day in prayer every night and every day. Even if you have to tell Netflix, hey, I can't watch you right now because I need to wake up early to pray. Seek you first. Because so, so many of us watch Netflix so long, you know, when it judges us and says, are you still watching? And he says, one more episode. And then you go to sleep and you wake up late because you're tired and you skip your prayer time and your word time because you stay up too late watching Netflix. Now, there's nothing wrong about Netflix, but you didn't put God first. You put Netflix first. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's why tithing is first. It's first fruits. It's putting God first. That's why we say when you wake up, spend some time in the word and prayer. You're putting God first. 
Now, you, if he's not a morning person, I'm not. Spend time with God in the morning with some coffee. He's like, Pastor, well, we see you Sunday mornings. It's miracles, signs, and wonders. <laughs> and I've been awake for a long time. So by the time y'all see me, I've already been up like eight hours. <laughs> Come before God first. Not as a last resort to save you out of trouble. First. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God's ways of being right and what he does. And all these things shall be added unto you. If you want things, seek God first. But if you seek things first, you might get them, but you'll lose them. You seek things first, you serve mammon, not God. Take therefore no thought. Don't be worried or anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil or the trouble thereof. So this whole system of save by grace through faith, of believing and speaking, of sowing and reaping, has been provided to you by God because he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, we've seen that multiple times. Well, so now let's think, was Jesus broke? No. He had a house by the sea. How many of you like a house by the sea? I would. You go to Capernaum where he lived. It was by the sea. He says he walked out of his house and went to look at the sea. So don't say, well, Jesus was homeless. No, he wasn't. Well, there's a scripture that says, well, I don't have a place to lay my head. Look at it in context. The context of that scripture was he was going through a Samaritan city, and because he was heading to Jerusalem, they didn't want him to stay there. And so he said to one of his disciples, I don't have a place to lay my head. It wasn't that he was broke. When he was born, magi were looking for him to give him money. As soon as he came to the earth. You read Luke chapter 8. In addition to the disciples and the 70 others that follow him, there were a group of people that followed Jesus for one purpose, to pay for things, to give into his ministry. And he had a treasurer. You don't need a treasurer if you're broke. If you only had three pennies, you do not need an accountant. <laughs> Judas was the treasurer. And Book of John says Judas would steal from the treasury. And if he only had three pennies and one is missing, you would know. <laughs> Matthew was a tax collector, so you know he was watching the money. So Judas was so slick, and Jesus had so much, Matthew could even tell. And it's not like Jesus didn't give. When he read on the day when Judas wanted to betray him, the rest of the disciples thought that Jesus told Judas, go give to the poor. You only think that as if it's what Jesus did on a regular basis. You can't give to the poor on a regular basis if you are the poor. The Father took care of Jesus. He wants to take care of you. That's what it says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You have a caretaker, and he always takes care of you in grand style. So he provided a system for you to work so you can always win in life. It's grace through faith. It's believing and speaking and sowing and reaping. But in order to receive all those benefits, you must believe that God loves you. His blessing, as we said before, is the empowerment to prosper. He releases the blessing because it comes from a place of love. Proverbs 10, 22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. 
It causes you to have an abundant supply is what that word means. Or it causes you to overflow. The blessing comes from a place of love. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. I believe that. You say, well, Pastor, I have trouble believing. Just say it all day. Say it all day long, every day. It will renew your mind. When I went to Zimbabwe to preach last year, the Lord told me my assignment was to minister to them on the love of God and get them to believe that he loves them as much as he loves Jesus and how it would affect the entire nation and the area. And so the first message I did, I wrote two messages in one. I preached for two hours and ten minutes on the love of God. Just let it rip. So by the time I left, they're shouting out, God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Why well, I was renewing their minds. Because there were some who grew up in that generation of the drought that ended, thank God, a year and a half ago. They thought they were cursed. So they're thinking that they have a drought because something bad they did. But now that the drought is over and they're saying God loves as much as loves Jesus, their mind is free to prosper. Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring ye half the tithes, part of the tithes, IOU tithes, Groupon tithes, into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now here what says the Lord of hosts, if I not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there should not be room enough to receive it. So notice, as we said before, the tithe is our connection point to the outpouring of the blessing. The tithe is our connection point to the outpouring of the blessing. Continually tithing puts us in a position to continually receive an overflow of the blessing. So the tithe is our connection point to the blessing. And the tithe is not just something you put in the bucket or something you text in, something you give online. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 26, it instructs us concerning the tithe, that when we tithe, we're supposed to say something. So wherever you tithe, whether you're tithing when you're at church, when you're texting from home, however you're tithing, don't just tithe and say, oh, I'm done. Open your mouth and say something. When you look at Deuteronomy 26, it talks about them talking about what God did for them and where God brought them from where they are now. So you open your mouth and say, Father, I thank you for where you brought me from. I thank you that I have something to give. You see, you may not be where you want to be, but at least you're not where you used to be. So you thank God for where you are as you present your time to him. And at the end of the Deuteronomy 26, it says, now bless me. So now you're going to start talking about receiving more of the blessing. Now, Father, as I present my tithe, I receive more of the blessing right now. And it's the blessing that's the empowerment to prosper. And it's the blessing of the Lord that makes us rich. And your tithe is your connection point to the blessing. And then it says to rejoice. So when we say it's tithes and offering time, it shouldn't just be the 10 spiritual people that praise God. It's everybody. You rejoice because your tithe is also an act of worship. Your tithe is rejoicing that God actually gave you something to give. Because when you look in the context of Deuteronomy 26, when we told him to rejoice, he's telling people that came out of Egypt and out of slavery, and he brought them across the horizon into the promised land. And so now they get to tithe off of the harvest in the promised land. So your rejoicing from your tithing is a celebration of victory and where God brought you from. So every time you give, you should rejoice and thank God you have something to give. 
and thank God for where he's taking you to in your future. So it shouldn't be quiet when we tithe. Even when I'm praying over the tithe, I should hear you talking just a little bit, praying over your tithe and talking to God about it. And calling forth the blessing on your life in the different areas of your life. So we continue in Malachi 3.10. And it says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, says the Lord of hosts. These are some things you should say. But notice verse 12, and all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. When it says all nations, it means all the heathen. God wants to bless you so much that the heathen look at you and say, hashtag blessed. God wants the heathen to talk about how blessed you are. Jeremiah 33, verse 9, in context, is talking about Jerusalem, but the principle is still the same about how God wants to bless us. It says, and it shall be a name of joy and a praise and honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear of all the good that I do unto them. And they shall fear and tremble, another version is tremble and awe, for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. God wants to bless his people so much that the whole world is trembling because of the blessing and the goodness and the prosperity he's given his people. What happens when people call you blessed? What happens when people see the prosperity on your life? Your life becomes a witnessing agent. They see your life and they want to know your God. So when they see you prosper, they see you excel on the blessing, don't take credit for it. Don't say, well, I studied so hard. I worked so hard. I'm just so smart. I'm just so good looking. I got it, I got it like that. My 30-second elevator pitch was on point. No, don't take credit for it. What did you do? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 17. So in context, he's saying, don't say in your heart, my power and might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Don't take credit for it. But you shall remember, don't forget, don't get it twisted. The Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth. He gives you power to get wealth. God gives you power to get wealth, so you need to go get wealth. Deuteronomy 28, 12 says he'll bless the work of your hands, which means you need to work. Give God something to bless. Now, don't stay at home on your couch and say, well, God's going to bless me. No, go to work. Now, if you work from your couch and you're on the Internet making tons of money, go for it. You have to put some work and effort in the game. Give God something to bless. Don't say, well, God told me to stay at home and he's going to meet all my needs. Stop, li- stop lying on my Jesus. That wasn't the Holy Ghost. It's probably the spirit of lazy. You're going to cast them out and follow Jesus. Now, the thing is, what happens if you lose your job? What happens if your industry dries up? What do you do? You get before God and go create yourself a job. Well, people aren't hiring me. Go make a job. You serve the one who created everything. Get some wisdom for him and go create some stuff. Go become a salesperson. Let the blessed on you cause things to sell. So I do cold calls. No one wants to talk to me. Before you make the calls... Talk about the favor of God that's on your life. That before people pick up, they're going to run into my favor. 
So you go make cold calls, and someone answers, and they don't even want anything you're selling, but they want to listen to you for some reason. They're busy, but they just want to stop and hear what you got to say. Why? The favor of God. So don't complain about the people who won't hire you. Go and make yourself a job. Go create. God has given you what you need. You need to go put it into practice. Give God something to bless. The tithe is our connection point to the blessing. The tithe is our connection point to the blessing. But understand your tithe is not seed. Your tithe is the connection point to the blessing, but your tithe does not seed, which means you can't expect a harvest from your tithe. So you can't believe for a hundredfold to come for your tithe. Why? It's not a seed. The tithe is a connection point to the blessing. Go to Genesis 26. Genesis 26, verse 1. The tithe is not seed. It's your connection point to the empowerment to prosper, the outpouring of the blessing. So if you just tithe and you have the blessing that works on your life, it's going to bless the work of your hands. But you can't expect a harvest. Why? You didn't sow seed. Do you know what the number one indicator of you receiving harvest is? You sowed seed. What would you think of a farmer that goes out to his field every day and looks for crops to grow and he never planted seed? You can say, I'm blessed all day long, but nothing's going to grow. Until you plant seed, you can't expect to harvest. Genesis 26, verse 1, you'll see that Isaac, where he's living, it's a time of famine. He goes to coast of the Philistines because they had a covenant with his father, and he's staying there, and he's planning to go down to Egypt. Now, why would he go to Egypt? Egypt usually has a good economy, and that's what his father did. See, parents, we have to be cautious because not everything is a generational curse. It's a pattern. You're thinking you're fighting against spirits, and your kids are fighting against your pattern. So it can't be do what I say, not as I do. It has to be do as I do. You have to set the pattern in front of them. Because you get frustrated. They're in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Well, why are they doing that? Well, they saw you work that pattern. So, well, I don't know why everyone in my family always gets sick at this age. It's a pattern. Y'all eat the same things, so y'all get sick together. So go back and look what you're all eating together. So, oh, but it's a bonding moment when we eat this food. Well, then y'all can bond to the hospital too. <laughs> Patterns. Analyze your life. Not everything is spiritual. Some things are very natural. And some of us are in situations in our finances and our bodies not because the devil did it. Because we did it. And so one of the things, if you did the wrong things, got yourself a situation, go before God, ask for forgiveness, lay hold of mercy, and change your pattern. And be faithful with your change. Amen? And so God tells Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the land that I should tell you of, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For unto you and unto your seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto your Abraham your father, and I'll make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto your seed all these countries, and in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, so he stayed in a place of famine. And you're thinking, well, in a place of famine, I shouldn't sow. I should just hold on to all my seed and wait for a better time to sow. 
What you get to verse 12 says, then Isaac sold in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold or a hundred times, meaning every seed produced a hundred times. And in addition to that, the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. Why think about this. He's the only one the earth is producing for. The only one. No one else is getting crops, but he is. You see, when he went to different wells, water would spring up whenever he went. So wherever he goes, the earth works and water comes. So now the Philistines, they got a ton of money, but they don't got food. So they're going to him and he's feeding that city. The king is offended because he thinks he should be the one that everything's working for. But now all the money is shifting to the blessed man. And this one blessed man feeds the whole area. He ends the drought. He's ending the famine. The power of one blessed man. But notice there would never have been a harvest if he never sowed. He could have been blessed all day long because his needs could have been met all day long. But there never would have been a harvest if he never sown any seed. Go to Genesis 41. Verse 46, we talked about Joseph a few weeks ago. Genesis 41. Verse 46, we've talked about how he went from the pit to the prison to the palace. Talking about how the blessing brings palace time to your life. And so while he's there, the Lord tells him that there's going to be seven years of plenty or seven years of overflow. God makes him the prime minister. And so in the seven years of overflow... It says, the earth brought forth by the handfuls. The Amplified Classic Edition says, it brought forth by the handfuls for each seed planted. The message version says, during the next seven years of plenty, the land produced bumper crops. Joseph gathered up the food of the seven good years in Egypt and stored the food in the cities. In each city, he stockpiled surplus from the surrounding fields. Joseph collected so much grain, it was like the sand of the ocean, that he finally quit keeping track. Although there were blessed years of plenty and overflow, if the people never sowed, they never would have reaped, even though the blessing was working. There must be the blessing, and there must be seed, time, and harvest. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Say, the blessing is working. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. He gave us a system because he loves us. Paul says, but this I say, he was so sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. And he was so bountifully, shall reap also bountifully. This is not a deep spiritual concept. It's very simple. If you go out and throw, sow three seeds, you can get three seeds worth of harvest. If you go out and sow three bags worth of seed, you can get three bags worth of harvest. Every man, according as his purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. Oh, I got to give because it's offering time. Or of necessity, someone's looking at me, so I better give. For God loves a cheerful giver. And for class, it says one who's prompt to do it. So it's not someone who's going, oh, you really need to give today. No. No one has to cheerlead you into giving. You come, I'm going to give. Why, God's been good to me. God loves me. I have something to give, so I joyfully give and rejoice as I give. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you 
always having all sufficiency, and all things may abound to every good work. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, notice what it says in verse 10. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness was called through us thanksgiving to God. So notice your giving, once again, causes people to praise God because of what comes upon your life. But go back to where it says he ministers seed to the sower. The word minister means fully supply, furnish, and contribute. God will minister seed to you. God will minister seed to you. Why? He loves you. But when God gives you seed to sow, don't eat it. A lot of times we're believing for harvest, so God gives us a seed. But when that seed comes, it's not enough to meet our need, so we go get a Happy Meal instead. So you're happy for the moment, but your issue's still there. You can eat your seed and get little nutritional value, but if you sow the seed, you can get more. So that when God brings something to your hand, before you run out and spend it, get before God, God, what should I use this for? Is this something I sow and give away? Is this something I put in savings? Is this something I invest? Is this something I use to pay off a bill? You have to get before God and ask God, what is it for? Because there's sometimes God will put something in your hand so you can give it to someone else because there's no way the other person could get it. Parents, God will also put something in your hands for your kids. Because your kids are working their faith and believing for a certain vacation. They're believing for something. And God won't be able to get it to them because you'd be tripping if someone walked up and gave your child $10,000. So God can cause it to come to you. One of my friends, David Winston, he'll be here preaching in October for us. Him and his wife are coming to be a blessing to us. And so he told a story about how when he was growing up, he was believing for a certain car. So he had his faith set out for it. And then someone walked up to Pastor Bill Winston, his father, and gave him this large check. And so Pastor Bill was thinking, well, what am I going to do with this? And the Holy Ghost said, that's not for you. That's for David. He's been believing for a car. Go get it. So that's why when things come into your hand, get before God, what should I do with it? Now, there's sometimes God will say, go enjoy it. I remember one time someone blessed me with the amount of money, so I'm praying, God, what should I do with it? And so he said, you know those two pairs of chucks that you saw in the store that you'd like, but you didn't want to buy because you didn't want to spend money on it? Go get it and give the rest to missions. Yes, sir. Get before God and ask him what to do with it. Why? You can, when you do that, it makes sure you don't eat your seed. It makes sure you sow your seed, and what bread is for you eating, not the seed. But notice that he'll multiply your seed sown. So that's not talking about your harvest. That's talking about the seed. So your job is to sow. So you're just sowing like you're supposed to, consistently like Ecclesiastes 11 teaches us. You don't regard the clouds, you don't regard the wind, you're just sowing. But because God multiplies your seed sown, it's like angels go behind you and add a handful of seed wherever you go. So that's why when your harvest comes, it's always larger than what you would have sown in the first place. But that's not enough for the God who loves you and wants you to experience overflow. He says he'll also increase the fruits of your righteousness. So now your seed has been multiplied. Your harvest is already larger than you expected. Then God increases your harvest as well. Why? He loves you. But you have to do your part and work the system he has given you because he loves you. So God will minister seed to you, but when God gives you seed to sow, don't eat it. Sow it. 
The New Living Translation of the verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. The message version says, this most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. The Amplified Classic Edition says, And God who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in act of goodness, kindness, and charity. Your job is not to multiply your seed. You're responsible to tithe and to sow your seed in faith. As we said in weeks prior, God will give you wisdom and favor. The blessing is designed to multiply what you sow and bring you into a place of overflow. The blessing is designed to multiply what you sow and bring you into a place of overflow. I just mentioned Ecclesiastes 11. Verse 4 says, He that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. If you observe the wind, that means you'll always see a reason why you shouldn't sow. There will always be a reason why you shouldn't sow. Ignore it. And sow anyways if you want to receive a harvest. Then it says those who regard the clouds won't reap. There will always be a reason that presents itself that says there's no way you can harvest or prosper in this time. There's so many reasons why Isaac could not receive a hundredfold in a time of famine. And so that might think, well, because it's a bad time, I'm just going to stay at home. I'm not going to even try. No. Go and reap your harvest. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You're the blessed of the Lord, and you've sown seed, so go get your harvest no matter what it looks like. So you can't observe the wind or regard the clouds if you expect to get to a place of overflow. Remember when we said, gather, we said and the blessing gathering is required. Because a lot of people expect God to have someone to come up and bless you with something. That does happen. But God also wants to bless you in other ways that we take for granted and we miss. So we gave you five things to do. We said, number one, in gathering, look for sales. Look for opportunities, investments. Look for discounts of the things you already normally buy. If you have loans with bad rates, look to refinance with a better rate. And then pay that thing off. Number five, look for unexpected income and gifts. As you look for these things and find them, write it down. Write down how much you save from the sales, discounts, refinancing, etc. Write down the unexpected income, gifts, and return on investments. Total it. What is that? Harvest. But a lot of times we miss it because we go to a store, we see something we're buying that's already on sale or discounted. And so what do we do? We go buy something else. Now imagine if just for one year you took everything you save from being on sale and discounted, and instead of spending it, you put it in your bank account. Imagine what your bank account will look at at the end of the year. That is harvest that's been accumulating. Instead of spending it automatically, oh, I saved here, so I'm going to buy something else. You're disciplined enough. You use the wisdom of God, and you take it, and you put it away. So, Pastor, am I saving for a rainy day? No, you're saving for an investment. The people who make the most money in this country do so when the economy dips. Why? They're prepared to buy things up when the economy goes down. Next time the economy fluctuates, I don't have a word from the Lord yet when that's going to be, but if I do get one, I'll let you know. You be prepared to buy things up. People complain about rules in this country. Well, he who has the gold makes the rules. You want to make different rules? Get some gold. Well, I don't like how the banks do out their loaning program. 
Well, the blessing is supposed to take you to a place where you, you are the lender, not the borrower. So you don't like their practices? Get yourself some gold and make some new practices when you loan. That's where the blessing is taking you. If you let it, and you work the system God has given you. Let's go to Mark 10 as we begin to wrap this up. Mark chapter 10. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's got a lot of money. And he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He believed Jesus was a good teacher. He didn't believe he was God. But he's just at the beginning of his faith. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. It's still on the old covenant. So he starts listing the social commandments. And he says, I've done all these since I was a child, since I was a youth. And it says, Jesus looked on him and loved him. But notice Jesus didn't list the commandments that had to deal with his relationship with God. Just the social commandments. And because mammon was in the way, Jesus told him, take what you have, give it away, and come and follow me. Now, anytime Jesus told people, come and follow me, it wasn't just saying, hey, follow me and maybe someone will meet your needs. He's inviting them on his staff. Same thing he told Peter, James, and John, everybody. Come follow me. Jesus had people that went around and paid for things. Because remember, none of these guys had families. Their families still had to be supported. Jesus was taking care of that. So he gave this man an opportunity, come work for me, let me teach you. He went away sad at that saying, grieved because he had great possessions. Grief always associates with loss. So this man missed an opportunity to be on Jesus' staff and been trained by him. Some preachers even think that this could have been the man that God wanted to replace Judas. That not only did he turn out from being with Jesus, he turned down an apostleship. Because he couldn't separate from his God of money. So while everyone's watching this happen, Jesus makes a comment saying, how hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God? And the thing is, if the disciples were broke, they would say, amen. You better preach against that 1%, Jesus. You better tell them what it is. But it's not what they said. They began to become perplexed. Well, who can enter into the kingdom of God then? You only say that if you got money yourself. You don't say that if you're broke. They had some money. They said, wait a minute, rich people, rich people can get a kingdom of God? Come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? So Jesus clarifies and says, how hard is for them that trust in riches? How hard is for them that have faith in money? See, money is a cruel mistress. You serve it, you'll have it one moment, and it'll leave you the next. You can't serve money. Money can't be your God. God has to be your source. And you have to understand, since God is your source, he'll give you many resources. So your gov- the government can't be your source either. No matter if you follow donkeys or elephants, they can't be your God. They fickle as anybody, no matter whose side you follow. God is your source. You must have faith in him and get before him. So what resources do you want to use to get me what I need? So it's not passively in faith. It's receiving the answer in faith and going to get busy and working your land. Remember, we said before, it's raining. And we said we receive the rain, but you must work your land. The rain didn't stop. It's still raining. People are just not working their land. You have to apply yourself. You have to work your land. Because Jesus says, as Peter goes on and says, look, this dude couldn't leave his money, and we left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, 
or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels. You left them because I said so. You left them to do what I called you to do. But he shall receive a hundredfold when you get to heaven. In the sweet by and by. Now, in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. No more wives. Notice that. With persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Notice this. If you begin to prosper and overflow and your life becomes a witnessing tool, some people will come to Jesus, but you also get a lot of haters. People will talk about you. There's no way they can have out that money if they didn't steal. There's no way God wants them to be blessed. Why, why do they have that house? Why do they have that car? Why do they have that plane? People can run their mouths. Let them. Don't let people run in their mouths cause you to back away from the blessing of God. Don't let people run in their mouths cause you to be ashamed of God's goodness on your life. Be bold with your belief that God wants to prosper you. And be bold enough to say, God is prospering me, and if you follow him, he'll prosper you too. Don't let religious people in the news media tell you what you should have. Let the word of God tell you what you should have. And go prosper beyond reason to the point that you tick Satan off. He's like, well, people are mad that I got money. Let them be mad. Laugh all the way to the bank. Don't let people move you. Prosper. Increase. The Philistines were mad at Isaac for prospering in time of famine. You shouldn't prosper. Everybody's broke. That's the time for you to be prosperous. Because who's going to help someone else if everyone's broke? You have the blessing. Get to work in it. Get to work in the system. Increase your faith in it because you believe God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And the blessing on you is more than enough to handle whatever you face. So Amos 9.13 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader grapes of him that sows seed, and the mountains shall drip, drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. The Amplified Version says, For the harvest continues until planting time. When the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt, that is, everything that was once barren will overflow with streams of blessing. This is talking about a farmer who goes out at normal time to sow seed. When harvest times comes, there's so much harvest, it takes him so long to gather that by the time it's time to sow seed again, he's still trying to get the harvest. That's supernatural increase. That's God multiplying your seed sown and increasing the fruits of your righteousness. And that's where God wants to take you. Now, what some people will say, well, I don't know, maybe for so-and-so, but it's not me. If you say it's not me, it's because you don't believe God loves you. You'll easily say, yep, it's me. That's for me. That's for me. When you believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. When you start saying, well, I don't have the right education, is your education stronger than God's love and blessing? Well, I don't know the right people. Is your lack of knowing the right people stronger than the blessing? Well, I made too many mistakes. Oh, is your past stronger than the blood of Jesus? No. You got to renew your mind about what God wants to do in your life. What God wants to do through you. He said, well, pastor, I have enough for me and my family. I don't need any more. Well, you're selfish. What do you mean? If you had just have enough for you and your family, how can you help somebody else? What orphanage can you build? What missionary can you fund? Whose house can you pay off? 
Uh uh-uh, uh, it's time to increase. So we can help people in a whole nother way. Because the thing is, if we prosper to such a point that people don't look at the government for help, they look to us, people want to know about Jesus. Because it doesn't matter what the religious belief is. If they need help and they run to the church, they'll hear about Jesus as we help them. That's where we have to get. That's how we have to overflow to, that our lives are witnessing tools. We actually have to act like Jesus is coming back. Because if he's coming back, that means we need to win people to Jesus like never before. And if the blessing on our lives is a witnessing tool, we better increase in that blessing. We better overflow in that blessing. We need to do whatever we need to do to increase in the blessing and walk in love so we can win this area to Jesus. It's time for it. So get busy about the blessing. Don't just talk about when you come to church. Don't just say, well, I'm at church. I talk about the blessing. They'll talk about it all the time. When you get before your business, release the blessing. You look at your bank account. You say, be blessed. You look at your children. Be blessed. You look at your situation. Be blessed. The blessing is also working on your voice. So you have to talk to your situation. You have to tell it what to do. Don't let the world tell you what it's going to be. You tell the world what it's going to be. Have enough faith that you can act like Muhammad Ali. Call it what's going to be before it ends. I'm going to beat you in this round. <laughs> then he laughed. <laughs> Get your bounce back. Get your confidence back. Stop walking out. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to win. You have to have more confidence in the rappers that say, all I do is win. You need to say the same thing. All I do is win because I'm blessed. People look at you and see all these different things. Oh, how'd you get them bloody shoes? You made money moves? Yeah, I sowed a seed. I got a harvest. God prospered me. We have to have more boldness in the world. But they don't believe me. Then Bruno Mars it. Just watch. Get some confidence. Get some boldness. Step out in the blessing. But what if it doesn't work? What if it does? All these people saying, what if, and staying on the couch are missing out on overflow. What if I make a mistake? You will make a mistake, but God is still there. He can help you figure it out. Won't you, be, won't you, won't you really want to be the person that actually tried to follow God, not the person that stayed at home because they're afraid of making a mistake? The person who prospers more is the one who gets up and does something. Yeah, you'll make a mistake, but God is with you and can fix it as you go. So stop going, well, what if, and get about the Father's business. Get about walking in the blessing. Get about increasing. Get about making your life a witnessing tool. Stop just thinking about how can I pay off my house? How can I pay off my neighborhood? Increase your thinking. Increase your mentality. Begin to think on a whole nother level. So the blessing can work. Stand to your feet. Glory to Jesus. Say, I'm blessed. Say, the blessing of the Lord is on my life. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe 
that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.